I wish we had time. Um, there's more to Sokol's background story, and uh, it's, it's so exciting. Uh, we used to, well, we still do support a missionary who uh, works at the United Nations. And um, when the ambassador from Albania, Albania came to New York to the uh, you know, United Nations meetings, uh, this missionary was able to lead him to Christ. And so when Sokol talked about, you know, the communist government falling apart and missionaries being able to come, it was part of the result of uh, this effort at the UN that goes on still today. And uh, it's very exciting to just kind of put it all together and see the fruit of that ministry in a person like Sokol and uh, who's here to serve us now, you know, as a result of all that. So it's just exciting to think about. I want to just say, you know, I think it's a privilege for us to be anticipating, celebrating again uh, Christmas and looking forward to uh, focusing on what God's done in sending uh, Jesus into our world. Advent, uh, the word Advent just means arrival and of course speaks about and anticipates the arrival of uh, Jesus into our world. A world that back then, uh, as well as now, a world that I think is still yearning for peace and for goodwill toward each other. A world that is longing for peace and goodwill toward one another. Eve, uh, in the Garden of Eden, turned her back on God and with that took all of us with her, but Mary... Jesus' mother said yes to God and with that invited God's Savior to come into the world and to deliver us from uh, all that's wrong in the world. And so it's kind of exciting when we just think about this. Uh, Our theme verse here for the last few weeks has been in Romans chapter 15. Uh, May the God of hope, the God of hope, the first Sunday of Advent is focused on hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The two things that I think people want most in their life, joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, right? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I may abound in hope. And uh, hope has to do with the Lord, right? Our hope comes from the Lord and especially his promise to return, uh, to make all things new. When we uh, just read this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 9, Uh, You know, it's about the first coming, uh, unto us a child is born, and it's about the second coming of Jesus. The government someday is going to be on his shoulders. And I know there's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of different ways of approaching uh, various prophetic passages of Scripture, Uh, but the Bible does talk about the fact that there's going to be this thousand-year period where Christ will reign on the earth with us, and uh, what a great day that's going to be, and of the increase of his government Um, there will be no end. It'll be an eternal uh, government of justice and righteousness. And things will finally be, you know, like they were meant to be, like God intended them to be. So Jesus' return, it's in his return that we find real hope. In um, Thessalonians, the first and second book of Thessalonians, we're uh, seeking to use and to uh, work our way through exegetically Um, You know, the Bible actually calls the return of Christ our blessed hope. Blessed, I think the best translation for blessed is happy. 
our happy hope, right? The one thing that we're really looking forward to that's going to make everything right, including overturning death, right, is when the Lord comes back. And uh, in Thessalonians, Paul wrote to this church about that, and he said, we do not want you to be uh, uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have passed away. Um, We don't want you to grieve as others who have no hope, who have no hope. Our hope is in the Lord coming back. And then that passage goes on to explain that when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are still alive will join uh, with them together in the air and will meet the Lord and will be with him forever and ever. It's such a great uh, reality and such a great hope. In uh, Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, um, Paul writes this to this church. He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he <clears throat> has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What a great thought. Just think about this, that Jesus came so that you and I, someday when we meet the Lord, uh, will be presented to him holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle, and so on. And then Paul, in the next verse, says this, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. It's going to be a great day when Jesus comes back. If we hold on to the faith, right? And uh, that's significant because it is prophesied, and we'll share a little bit about that this morning, that many people are going to fall away from the faith uh, in the end times because of a number of things that happen. But if you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. And then Paul goes on a little bit later, and he says to us, uh, chosen to make, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, a mystery is something that God's had in mind since the beginning of time, but only gets revealed along the way as history unfolds. And one of the mysteries that God had in his mind that came to the surface when Jesus came the first time is this idea that God was going to be in us. You know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, I remind my wife every once in a while, you better hang in there with me and be patient because someday I am going to be glorious. (laughs) I know it hasn't happened yet, okay? But here's what the Bible says. Christ is in me and someday he's going to make me glorious. So hang in there, be patient, you know, in his timing. And you know, that's true of all of us who have Christ in us, that someday we will be, in fact, like Christ. We will be glorious. Uh, and, and it's just exciting to think about the hope that God would have us live with. And so we're kind of asking the question, you know, what does the Bible say about Jesus' return? What, what can we know? What can we learn from Scripture about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back? Uh, because I think when we embrace what God's Word tells us about Jesus' return, It's kind of like getting a transfusion of hope shot right into your heart. 
When you start thinking about what's going to happen, just give yourself a little space to think and think about that day when Jesus comes back and what that's going to be like for you. You'll find the hope beginning to rise inside of you that I don't have to fear death anymore. And I'm not worried about uh, shame as, as a result of things that have happened in my past. God has forgiven me. He's washed me clean. He's going to present me to the Father perfect. You know, and he's able to do that through what he did when he came here the first time. And so it's exciting. It's like getting a shot of hope. Uh, we're not helpless. We're not hopeless. Even though the world is sort of collapsing around us, the Lord is building his church. And, uh, you know, the gospel is the hope of the world. Uh, you might remember Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, that the gospel is going to pre be preached uh, all over the world to all nations, and then the end will come. And uh, why? Because the gospel is the only hope that's left for the world. Uh, the gospel is the hope of the world, and the Lord has promised that that good news will go out across all the worlds. why we're giving ourselves uh, to missions. It's exciting to think about a communist country like Albania, you know, coming and opening up and the Lord moving in there and drawing people uh, to himself and, uh, and us being able to benefit from that. So we've seen that Israel is a key part of God's plan as to how things come together when Jesus returns. And uh, the whole world, uh, the Bible says, will be turned against Israel. And uh, you're, I'm sure, watching the news, and you're kind of aware of what's going on, uh, even today. But let me read for you a prophecy from the Old Testament, Zechariah, second to last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah says, uh, the Lord says, Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. And the siege of Jerusalem will also come against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all people. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. All the nations of the earth will gather against Israel. Now, just think about what's happening in our own. To think about Israel's history and what you know of what's happened down through history uh, all the way to our day, and think about what's happening today. I'm personally surprised, and shouldn't be, but... I am, that the anti-Semitism that is rising like worldwide is just coming up, it seems to me, so fast. I mean, it's always been around, but the way it's happening uh, in our day and in this uh, current events and, and uh, you know, what's happening in Israel today and so forth, I'm surprised uh, to see this like so widespread and so uh, all over the world. But then again, you know, uh, it's prophesied. Uh, all nations, including our own. And, you know, we have this anti-Semitism right in the heart of our government. Right? You're aware. And um, here, you know, hundreds of years ago, the Bible is telling us, listen, this is what's going to happen. And uh, all the nations are going to come against Israel. And Jesus will return and will rescue uh, the people of Israel. And, um, you know, the uh, Battle of Armageddon. And here in Zechariah, the same uh, passage, Zechariah chapter 12, um, Jesus will be recognized by the Jewish people finally as their true Messiah. 
And here's, uh, let me just read a couple of verses. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn and so on and so forth. The people of Israel will recognize Jesus as the Messiah that they yelled, crucify him, crucify him, you know? And what a day that will be. And God will pour out a spirit of grace and mercy on the people of Israel. The next chapter, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened up for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and all uncleanness. The same grace that's come to us, the same forgiveness that we live with and experience, the same promises of salvation uh, will come to the people of Israel on that day. What a great day that's going to be. And so the Lord comes back and part of his reason for coming back is to rescue and to be recognized by the nation of Israel. And so we learn um, from Daniel's prophecy, Daniel in the Old Testament is kind of like the backbone of prophecy. This kind of gives us the chronological order of things, uh, puts some dates on things. And we learn from Daniel that, right, there is one seven-year period of time left with God's dealing of Israel. And so obviously, it's within that seven-year period of time that the Lord comes back. Now, there's a lot of prophecy about those seven years that is in the scriptures, But those seven years are called the 70th week of Daniel. And uh, uh, it's important to understand that that seven-year period, which is often called today the tribulation period, you need to know there is absolutely no reference in the Bible that would call the entire seven years the tribulation period. Lots of authors who write about this and lots of people who talk about it just talk about the seven years. Now, there's going to be tribulation in that seven-year period, but no place in the Bible is it called uh, the tribulation period. It's the 70th uh, week of Daniel. And uh, we've, we've noticed, right, and Daniel has told us um, that there's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. And that gap is where we are living right now between the first and second coming of Jesus. And it's the church age. It's the time when God has actually, according to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, uh, set aside the Jewish people in order that the Gentile church might come into the blessings of God. And it's, a, it's been over 2,000 years now, this gap between the 69th week, which, remember, we saw ended the week that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and was crucified and ended up, uh, the Jewish people rejected him, and, um, and now has been like a couple thousand years. And so there's this gap before the seventh year starts. So um, I think just like the disciples, maybe our first question Uh, In Matthew 24, the disciples went to Jesus and they said, you know, Jesus was telling them these things that he's going to come back. And the disciples said, well, when and what will be the sign of your coming? How will we know it's you? How will we know when this is about to happen? Uh, When is it going to happen? Matthew chapter 24, when is it going to happen? And how will we, uh, what will be the sign of your coming? And so in Daniel chapter 9, I'd like to go uh, back there again. In Daniel chapter 9, there's a passage of scripture 
that I think is pretty difficult to understand, uh, yet uh, it's very important to understand. So I just want to read through this uh, slowly and uh, do my best to help us understand this. But um, <clears throat> in Daniel uh, chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. The anointed one is Jesus. After those 62 weeks, you know, we come right to the time when uh, we can measure on the calendar, right to the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And uh, it says he was cut off, he was crucified, and he had nothing. Uh, he came to his own, but his own received him not. So the Jewish people rejected him, okay? So I, I'm share with you my understanding of this passage. You can debate me if you wish, but uh, the next phrase says this, and the people of the prince who is to come, the people of the prince who is to come, I'm suggesting that that prince who is to come, everybody knows that before Jesus comes back, there is a person called the Antichrist that's talked about in the Bible. And uh, this uh, world leader, this antichrist, and you can figure out he's against Christ, he's the opposite of Christ. This antichrist shows up, and I think this is what Daniel's talking about. Um, it says here, uh, the prince of the one who uh, is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, shall destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Okay, now, if you know your history, in 70 AD, the Romans came, and uh, they destroyed uh, Jerusalem, and the temple was destroyed. And so a lot of people think, you know, that, uh, wow, uh, the Antichrist must be coming from the old Roman Empire. In other words, the uh, Antichrist is going to be some kind of European uh, leader, kind of where the old Roman Empire was. And for years, a lot of people uh, looked to, to that Roman Empire. Uh, however... Uh, when you dig in a little deeper, you find out that the Romans, while they were in charge, and uh, the Roman Empire really did take out Jerusalem in 70 AD, uh, what they did was instead of bringing all soldiers from Rome over there, they hired mostly uh, Islam, what we would call the Islamic people who surround Israel now, and many of them from Turkey, and they brought them, and they are the ones who really did the work of destroying the temple. You know, they built a big ramp up and, and, and so on. And so uh, if you were to ask me, I would say that if, if this is all going to happen, like in the near future, it's probably the Antichrist would come from an Islamic nation. And uh, it makes the most sense in light of where we're at today. And can I just say that, you know, when it comes to studying prophecy... There were people who had ideas way back, hundreds of years ago, who had ideas, but things have happened since then that changed things. Like in 1948, when Israel became a state again, all of a sudden, a lot of different people's ideas about how the end times were going to unfold changed, because all of a sudden now we actually had a nation. And people who didn't take literally what the Bible said about, you know, like all the nations of the world gathering against the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. Well, there was no nation of Israel until 1948. It's just 75 years ago. And so once that happened, uh, all of a sudden some more interpretation. And so as time goes by, we're able to understand and, and have more clarity. And so um, here's, you know, the 
prince of the people who destroyed Jerusalem. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city sanctuary, and uh, the end shall come with a flood, and at the end there shall be uh, desolations which are decreed. There'll be war, desolations are decreed. It's been God's decree that Israel would not rest, right? That would not have peace. Uh, it's, and history bears it out. I mean, how many wars are we aware of that Israel's had to fight just in the last 75 years to survive? And here's God telling us, you know, hundreds of years before, listen, this is the way it's going to be in Israel until the Lord comes back. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and in the end there shall be desolations which are decreed. Then the next verse. And uh, this is where uh, most people think uh, the seven-year period will begin. Okay, So what's going to happen? He, the prince who is to come, he shall make a strong covenant with many in Israel for one week. That's seven years. The, the, this Antichrist will make a deal right, with Israel, uh, to, I think, to protect it from the other Islamic nations that are trying to wipe it off the map. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put, uh, and for half of the week, half of the seven-year period, three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. The Antichrist will stop the Jewish people from worship, and he'll put an end to offering. He'll make a deal at the front end. We'll protect you. We'll take care of you. You can worship. You can build a new temple. You can do what, you know, and then three and a half years into it, and it's very precise, exactly three and a half years. The Bible talks about it in terms of days, 1260, 260 days. Um, It's really very precise. Right at the midpoint, this Antichrist changes his mind, or just does what the original plan was, stops Israel and puts himself in the temple and demands the worship of the world. Okay? And so, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. For half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator until the Lord comes back and gets rid of the Antichrist. And so, here again, this is, I would say, the backbone of prophetic scripture, and it's giving us kind of a a chronology as to what happens. This seven-year period starts, you know, when uh, this deal is made. And I don't know whether the deal will be something, you know, we'll see on TV and we'll all know about it, or it could be a deal that's made behind the scenes. Uh, But, you know, there are... Uh, at least two groups of uh, Islamic people, the Shiites and uh, Sunnis, and uh, they don't get along with each other and so forth. And, um, you know, uh, this could be somebody from one side makes a deal with Israel, we'll protect you from those guys, you know, and uh, we might hear about it, we might not. I don't know if you're aware, but uh, at the United Nations there was a deal Uh, that uh, I think the Saudi Arabian government brought to the United Nations. There are 17 initiatives to this deal. It's called the Agenda 2030. Agenda 2030. And it's the effort to make a new world, a new world order by the year 2030. And there's these 17 initiatives, none of which refer to God. And uh, uh, Israel signed in on this deal. 
And so some, some of us, like me, I'm like looking at this passage of scripture and I'm thinking, oh wow, there's a covenant being made, Israel's signing in. And uh, they're looking to other people to protect them rather than looking to God. And uh, could this be something? And then the United Nations met this past year in 2023, uh, between 23 and 2030, uh, or yeah, there's what, seven years. And so I'm thinking, wow, is this going to be ratified, this deal that, you know, is this it? Is this, and I couldn't find anything. You can go on the internet and Google uh, the Agenda 2030 and read about uh, this whole thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I go down these rabbit trails. Uh, the Antichrist is uh, called a number of things. Uh, in 1 John, uh, it's where, 1 John 2.18, he's called the Antichrist. But he has a number of different names. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 24, calls him the abomination of desolation. He calls him the abominator. Uh, that's Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, John, in Revelation 13, calls him the beast, the Antichrist, the beast. Um, Daniel calls him the desolator. Isaiah calls him the oppressor in Isaiah 14. Uh, the Antichrist will be a leader of a powerful world-influencing empire. And uh, Daniel was given a vision of this Antichrist person in Daniel chapter 7, uh, and really eventually his kingdom affects the whole entire world, the whole earth, and, uh, and until Jesus comes to defeat him. But in uh, Daniel chapter 7, it's again uh, in uh, verse 25, uh, the Antichrist will speak words against the Most High, and listen to this, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall wear out the saints. That's an interesting phrase, but here's, you know, Daniel, way back, 600 years before uh, Christmas, before Christ came the first time, and uh, what's going to happen when the uh, Antichrist comes? It's going to be a lot of Christians, especially nominal Christians who aren't serious, really, and committed and yielded uh, to the uh, Jesus as their Lord, uh, they'll, they'll get worn out. They'll just not be able to keep up, right? And uh, this Antichrist shall think to change the times and the law. Um, it's an interesting phrase as well, right? And uh, you know the Islamic people, wherever they go, they want to change to Sharia law, right? And uh, again, I think these are just hints. You can disagree with me and you can think what you like. The main thing is to study these scriptures and ask yourself, what do they mean? And how do we understand them in our day? But then um, here's, here's what it says. They shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. Uh, God's going to give people into the hands of this Antichrist for three and a half years. Again, exactly half of this seven-year period is given uh, over to the Antichrist. And again, uh, time, times, and a half year. This seven-year period is divided exactly in half. In other places in the scripture, it's spoken of as 42 months and 42 months. Uh, in other places of the scriptures, it's actually down to the day, 1,260 days, first half. And then uh, what happens, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24, right at the midpoint, uh, this Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, demands the worship of the world, and uh, Jesus calls this the Great Tribulation. Uh, this starts the Great Tribulation. And it's important, I think, to uh, kind of sort this out, maybe draw it on a piece of paper and so forth, 
But uh, this final period uh, lasts for seven years, but it's divided exactly in half. So there are at least two parts to it, and uh, I'm going to suggest that there's a third part as well. Uh, but uh, the Bible says, you know, um, Jesus is not going to come back until this happens. And that's important because uh, some people, you know, think that Jesus could come back today. Uh, a lot of Christian churches uh, think that Jesus could come back today, right? That his coming is imminent and it can happen at any time. But I want to suggest to you that the Bible says, no, there are a number of things that have to happen uh, just like the apostles asked Jesus, you know, what will be the sign of your coming? Because Jesus warns us. He says, look, there's going to be a lot of false Christs who are going to come and claim to be me and who are going to lead people off in different directions and so forth. But don't be deceived, you know. And so the disciples are like, well, what's the sign of your coming and so on? But here um, in Second Thessalonians, where we're kind of operating out of, uh, in chapter 2, uh, let me just read a couple of verses here. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarm, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to have come from us. Misinformation. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, Unless the rebellion comes first, the apostasy, the falling away of Christians comes first, and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So here I think is pretty plain, you know, if you just take it at face value, the Lord's not going to come back until this happens. All right? And so uh, I, I think it's important, again, to kind of put all of this together and allow your mind to kind of uh, absorb some of these passages of Scripture so that we can come up uh, with a reasonable uh, expectation of what's going to happen. So I, I take this to mean that the Lord's return cannot be imminent, cannot be today. Um, and so... Uh, I don't know how you think about that. I don't know whether you think that's good news or bad news, uh, but not only does the Antichrist have to set himself up and demand the worship of the world and proclaim himself to be God, uh, but there has to be this falling away, this apostasy uh, of the church, this falling away of people. And, you know, it's, it's sad, isn't it, when people walk away from the faith? Uh, you probably have known some people who have professed to be Christians or whatever, uh, I've sat with many a parent who, you know, worked really hard to raise their kids in a Christian home and watch their kids walk away from the faith, and uh, it's heart-wrenching, right? It's, it's really tough. And here in Scripture, uh, God is telling us that, you know, uh, this is going to happen. And uh, Timothy talks about this, too, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, let me read what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons um, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared and so on and so forth. He begins to describe some of the things that are going to happen uh, as people fall away 
from the faith. And so, again, uh, I think it's important that we grasp and understand, uh, you know, that the Lord's... I, I wish I'd have known this as a kid. When I was a kid, well, a while back, um, movies were a new thing. And my parents thought movies were evil, period. All right? So all the kids went to a movie. I wanted to see this movie. I don't remember what it was. But I wanted to go see it. And I can still remember my mother saying... What if Jesus comes back and you're sitting in the movies? <laughs> I, and I wished I'd have known back then that his coming wasn't imminent. Because <laughs> then I could have said, hey, Ma, well, you know, we're safe for a little while because this hasn't happened yet and Jesus can't come back until it does. And so, see, I'm going to the movies, you know, kind of thing. But I still remember, you know, that uh, idea of imminence. Um, now, if we go on, you know, there's uh, more and more. Uh, the Bible says, oh, gee. Um, you should continue this next week. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible does say that the whole world marvels at the beast. At the, Revelation chapter 13. If you're looking for something to do this afternoon, read Revelation 13 because that talks about what it's going to be like when the Antichrist demands the worship of the world and how he's going to go about it. And, uh, you know, we don't have time to get into it, but while all of this is going on on the earth, we have a glimpse from John in the book of Revelation of what's going on in heaven that parallels what's going on on earth. And uh, it's pretty uh, exciting. If you were to take Matthew chapter 24 um, and uh, the book of Revelation and put them side by side, and especially... Uh, Revelation chapter 6, where the opening of the seals that un unlocks the scroll. Uh, and the scroll, I think of it as kind of the title deed to creation. Who owns the world? Who owns creation? Who owns mankind? Uh, who is it that has authority and clout uh, and credentials to be able to give a piece of the land to who he wants to give it to? And why are we still fighting about this thousands of years later? over the land given to the people of Israel, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I always think I can get further than I get. But you know, uh, at the end of, uh, at the end of, this, uh, of these thoughts, the truth is that our hope is in the Lord coming back and straightening everything out and establishing uh, a thousand-year period of uh, justice and righteousness on the earth of which we are promised to be a part. It's pretty exciting. And uh, death, you know, is overcome, and all of our sin is gone, and we're forgiven, and the amazing grace of God uh, fills our hearts. It's, it's a great hope. But that hope is entirely dependent upon what Jesus did the first time when he came and offered his life on the cross because it's only through the blood of Christ that we can be reconciled to this God who is holy and perfect in every way. And so we have the opportunity this morning to celebrate the Lord's uh, Supper. The Lord told us uh, never to forget, you know, to remember.